Welcome to the New Era Property and Business Podcast. I'm Rick Gannon, and I'm a property investor, trainer, and mentor, and best-selling author. If you are interested in any of our property mentoring services, then please contact me via my website, which is www.neweraPropertySolutions.co.uk. And please don't forget to take a look at my five times best-selling book, House Arrest. House Arrest is a manual for new property investors, which shows you how you can replace your income by investing in property. That's available on Kindle, it's available on paperback, and it's also available on the Audible store. Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast and we've got an absolutely exceptional guest on today. We have got the best selling author and business entrepreneur, really inspirational guy, Alex Siri. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hey Rick, thank you very much. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Good stuff. Yeah, very well, thank you. Alex, you know, it's really great to have you on the podcast today because I kind of like um, I followed your journey and a little been a little bit of a part of your journey as well, right back in the beginning. And, you know, before we go into the questions and stuff, I just wanted to say that, you know, watching you from where you've come from to where you are now has been so inspirational, not just for um, loads of other people out there, but for me as well. So congratulations on your book launch. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Straight to number one in some very hard categories. So really well done on that. So Alex, you know, you haven't always been in property. So we're going to talk a little bit. I know you don't just concentrate on property now, but I'm going to talk, take you back really. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background, where you've come from and, and what you used to do before going into business? Yeah, of course. So I, um, I'm born and raised in Nottingham from a town uh, called Hucknall. And, um, you know, before business, a very average guy, got average GCSE grades, got below average in some, uh, was a very much a class clown, um, dropped out of sixth form college and uh, went into various job roles, such as working for Boots and Christmas time, and then into a sales role uh, for Tiskley Broadband back in the day. And then um, I ended up working for uh, Nottinghamshire Police, uh, first as a special constable, and then in uh, 2013, moved into custody as a detention officer. And uh, whilst I was there, um, and beforehand, this you know, becoming a police officer was what like one of my dream jobs. I always wanted to become a cop. And whilst I was there, I actually realised, could I do this for the rest of my life? Um, not and not so much, you know, for the things I was doing in the role. But what I saw was that actually the people who have been in the force a long time. Um, they didn't seem like they wanted to be there. They weren't happy. They were stressed. They were fatigued and so forth. And I'm a firm believer, you know, if if you add the same ingredients in life and, and it'll just like a cake. And if you add, you know, a bit of cancelled rest days, uh, you know, supervisor troubles, um, you know, pressured work, stress. Well, typically it's just a matter of time before you get that end result. And I was so self-aware of that that I didn't want to end up like these officers in the future and not living life the way I should. 
So what, let's just go back a little bit further. What took you into the police in the first place? So you, you, you had quite a few jobs and you were selling broadband packages and stuff. And then all of a sudden you decided you wanted to join the police. Where did that seed come from? Yeah, so when I, so when I was 17, um, I was at a, um, a friend's house and a sleepover kind of thing. And the mum and dad had split when I was 10 years old. Um, they were this, and I didn't see my dad. Um, he just kind of left, left me, my brother, but at 17, um, I was, I was away. And in the morning when my mum, when my mum picked me up, she was in a bit of a, a state and, um, my dad had been round, uh, the, the mum's house and, uh, you know, was kind of pushing and shoving and, um, was really put in a horrible situation, which could have gone really bad. And, Luckily, my mum managed to um, ring the police. And even though I wasn't there, I think, you know, I, I just had an overwhelming respect for the police from that instant. And at the time, me and my mum wasn't going through a, a particularly, you know, a, a, a nice time. And, um, you know, I thought probably deep down, you know, be a bit proud if I become a police officer. So so that that was kind of one instance, really. That was kind of like the seed was planted. Oh, this this has piqued my interest now. Um and, you know, I always thought it would be a safe, secure job to go into. I think we get taught in school, you know, um, you know, get a good pension, pay the bills and so forth. The typical linear approach to, um, you know, what teachers and other you know, parents teach, really. OK, so you were a detention officer. So just give us a bit of background on what your job involved and what what you did uh, whilst in custody. Yeah, of course. So, um, so I used to work in bridal custody in Nottingham, which is, you know, it's very large custody suite, very busy. And, um, police officers would bring the detainees in, um, compliant sometimes and, uh, very much so, um, non-compliant. So when they would come in, we would, you know, um, maybe sometimes restrain uh, the detainees, take fingerprints, take DNA, um, you know, cuff them if necessary. We would take photos, um, you know, book them out for interviews um, and, you know, get called to cells if, you know, people are trying to self-harm, trying to take their own lives um, or, or, you know, in some instances as well, attacking staff. So um, they were the typical kind of day-to-day -day roles. Um, it's not a very safe environment to be in. Um, and, the, and, you know, some of the things I saw, <laughs> I wish I could unsee them. But, um, but yeah, it was a massive eye-opener, and uh, I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, when lots of people are very opinionated towards the police, and whether that's good or bad, but they only see what the media generally show them, either on the television or in the news or on Facebook, and they don't really see how it is in reality. And, um, as you know, I'm an ex-police officer, and, you know, life out on the streets is very different to the perception that people have it. And certainly when it goes down into custody, now a police officer would go and uh, arrest somebody, take them into custody, and um, go through the, the circs, if you like, the circumstances with the custody sergeant, and yeah. then hand them over, really, and walk away. And if they were dealing, then, of course, they would come back and interview, etc. But then it's up to you guys in custody to babysit that person, go through all of their needs, make sure they're safe, make sure their rights and entitlements are, are up to date. So, you know, nobody sees that kind of stuff, and mm -hmm. it is a very difficult, intense job, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, 
the things that go on in custody it is behind closed doors and um you know it's not on you know the tv shows and like rapid response cops and stuff like that it is nothing like that in custody um it is it is is a pretty full on and you know there's been instances where you know people get seriously injured in custody uh, both detainees and staff yes absolutely um <laughs> I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I could go into loads of stories, but you know what? It's, it's, it's not about that. So, yeah. you know, what was the turning point, Alex, for you? Yeah, so I, um, at between 19 and um, 21, I I um, went through depression and uh, suicidal thoughts. It was a very bad time. Um, you know, I felt very lonely at the time and, you know, not to blame it on anyone, Um um, but I remember texting my mum. I felt like killing myself. Texting her, 21 years old. Um, I feel like killing myself. Um, I was self-harming, but not in the sense of cutting or anything like that. Um, I was just, you know, punching and stuff like that. And um, when I got the response back from my mum, it actually was a blessing in disguise. It, it, this, this kind of, you know, lack of a pers- personal responsibility, this lack of, you know, kind of blame everyone else and feeling sorry for myself actually turned to a bit of, a bit of anger and like, right, okay, I want to be so far away from where I am, um, where I was at that current position to where I want to be in the future. And I can ask myself, you know, three questions at the time, um, you know, what have I achieved? What have I become? And what have I created? And I really did not like the answer to any of those questions. And, uh, I can remember going back and, uh, Googling how to become rich by, uh, I, sorry, I, I know came a book called think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. So at the time I just thought I want to be so rich. I want to get away from this situation. Um, I don't like who I am right now. And, uh, that book came up and I can remember reading it and literally crying and the, you know, tears hitting the page and thinking, why, why is this never ever been taught? from like, you know, in school, why is, you know, none of my like sibling uh, parents or, you know, uncles or aunties ever taught me this way of thinking. And for me, a penny dropped and it's that how I think determines my outcome. And as soon as that happened, you know, my, my life started to change. I started to, to read more books. Um, I started to train the gym. Um, and actually at the beginning I thought, is it really working? Because just after I read that book, I got kicked out of my family, my, my mom's home. So I was homeless for a brief while and I was thinking, okay, is this stuff really working? Or, and, um, I ended up living with my girlfriend and her mother. Um, and whilst they kept up with the personal development side of things, kept reading business and, you know, entrepreneurial books and mindset books and my results just took off. And, and one thing led to another and, um, and yeah, I made the, I made the commitment in, in building and designing a life, um, for myself. How did you do that, Alex? So you made a commitment of building and designing a life. What did that look like to you at that point in time? It was living life on my terms, not being, not having to answer to anyone, not being dictate, dictated by anyone or anything. And I think independence, I think, you know, when you get kicked out uh, and you're really financially broke, you start to realise, actually, um, you know, I, I had to live with Claire's mum and I felt very you know, at the kind of, she's lovely, bless her, but she's at the mercy of someone else because essentially I'm living in her house. So, you know, the commitment was, was to build a business, you know, go into business and make sure that my life is my own without being dictated by anyone or anything. 
And I know that property isn't your main focus at the moment, mm -hmm. um, but yep. it's, you know, that's not to say that you have been exceptionally uh, successful in the property field. So I think it's fair to say that you know, your first step was to go into the property arena. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you did that, what you did, and how it looked for you in terms of how it changed your life moving forward? Absolutely. So I, right, I've got very small hands for a man <laughs> and uh, I, I had no credibility, no experience. I was uh, 24 at the time, was financially broke, just living, you know, from my wage, wage slip each month. And I realized, look, if I'm going to have to, you know, build a business in property, because property at the time piqued my interest. And I know, you know, um, it can get really good results for people. I had to get mentors. I had to get mentors around me so that I could learn from them and, you know, minimize the trial and error period whilst getting to my destination much quicker if I was to go alone. Um, and, and that, you know, that was basically it. Find mentors, replicate them, model their success so I can gain the results for myself. And, you know, it's really interesting that whilst we're on the subject of mentors, because, um, you know, whilst I believe and I still have a mentor myself, and I think I always will, mm. mentorship is so important. But, you know, not everybody sees it that way. Sometimes people think, you know, they can go out, get the books, go on the Facebook forums, learn what they need to do for free and go at it alone. What's your thoughts on that, Alex? Yeah, so... Um, so, so Growing up as children, you know, we get taught to how to brush our teeth by, you know, mom or dad or brother or sister. Um, driving a car, we get, you know, driving instructor, reading, writing, and so forth. And um, these are all mentors who have, you know, helped us along the way. But there comes a certain point, and you know, we could be adulthood, where we say, a, a few people, and maybe a lot of people say, no, I can do this on my own. But they have, they've had no previous experience in that at all now for me i'm so self-aware that we're dying rick like every single day we are dying right now having this conversation we are dying we are closer to death than we were you know 10 minutes ago and um i would rather you know become successful and wealthy younger and sooner so i could live a rich life rather than dying rich with, you know, whatever riches that may be in trying to save money on, you know, not investing in mentors. Now, a lot of people, I believe they just see the price, like the price of the mentor. This is how much is going to be. I can't afford it. And, um, on the flip side to that, you know, what's the cost of not having a mentor? You know, is that, you know, making massive financial mistakes? Is that, you know, lacking accountability, the environment? Is that, you know, um, having, you know, every business owner has these mindset things, uh, these mindset uh, doubts and just a mentor to pick you up on that uh, missed opportunity. So I was so focused on actually, if I don't invest in a mentor, I'm going to face all these costs. And, you know, for me, it was a no brainer. I, I'd rather get results quicker so I could live life on my terms than, you know, trying to tiptoe my way to success because it's just, you know, business is hard. Like it is, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I think the f people start a business and don't expect what to go into. And I just believe that in two years, I was about to build a business in the property industry and obviously work ethic goes into that. But 
really it's just being told what to do by mentors and listen to what they what they say and, and you you get the results um that was it that was that was my decision making process and a lot of people think you know success is this massive massive equation of complications and so forth when it's not success is a binary decision okay and this is a yes or no so if you are looking to invest in a mentor it's either yes and you get your results quicker and minimize the you know the trial and error period or no and try and do it on yourself and there's so many conflicting bloody you know advice out on the internet and because it's free right um, and you know, if there's so many conflicting advice, typically you're going to take a lot of inaction because you don't know which one to go for. And that inaction leads to a lack of, you know, time and that lack of time equates to missed opportunities, which again, you know, time is ticking. We are dying. So for me, option a mentor. Fantastic answer. And you're right. You know, there's a few things you've picked up on there. Sometimes people say, well, you know, how expensive is it to have a mentor? Um, but you look at it as, well, how expensive would it be not to have a mentor? So would you say, Alex, that you would be in a similar position now if you didn't have a mentor? If I didn't have a mentor, I honestly believe um, I wouldn't be in this, you know, this current situation. I, 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 hands on heart. And the thing is, you know, there is success I've got right now. I still have, a, you know, mentors all around me. I, I still pay my mentors, but in different things now. So, you know, writing the book, I paid a mentor to help me do that. You know, online marketing, I paid a mentor to help me do that. You know, I, I'll always have mentors around me. Um, and, I, and I can hand on heart say, if I didn't, I would not be in the position I am in today. Yeah, some great advice. Okay, so so we're going through a little bit of a, a storyline here. So you you chose then to um, you went through a, a bad patch in the police, a little bit of depression kicked in, and the environment you you were in is absolutely not going to help that mindset because you become institutionalized. I don't like using that word, but I think as a police officer, that's exactly what happens. And mm -hmm. you're in that environment all the time, and you are surrounded by. Um, the worst elements of society and that's the that's the sheer fact of it and you are there all the time and that does have a really adverse effect on your mindset and I know because obviously I lived it for many many years so you decided then that you needed to make that change you you uh, read or listened to Think and Grow Rich um, by Napoleon Hill and well done for that for getting through all of it because um it's a really long book, <laughs> and it's not, and he's not got the easiest uh, voice to listen to. Um, and then, you know, what what happened then, Alex? You went into property because you wanted to um, change your life quickly. You knew you could get the rewards. So, talk to us now about your property journey um, and what did you achieve in in that time scale? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, year one. Um, and this is the kind of kicker for me. So in year one, uh, through the first phase of the mentoring is that, um, I hit an income through the property side of things of around 62,000, which is equivalent to like a superintendent's wage. And what was your strategy, Alex, to do that? This what, what was, what was the property strategy? Strategy, uh, initially was rent to rent and, uh, and, um, HMOs, JVs. Um, but now it's solely, uh, JV HMOs. Okay, so within six months, sorry, did you say six months? Tw sorry, 12 months. So 12 within, months. within the first year, um, it was an income of around 62,000, which is equivalent to a superintendent. And then I actually realized, why would, you know, there's so much opportunity out there that 
I can gain, you know, results much faster if I wasn't, you know, if, if I'm in a job, why would anyone stay in a job if they're unhappy when you can gain this kind of result outside? Um, so I, I progressed with that, progressed with that. And uh, a year on, so it's two years now in business, um, still sticking to the strategy of HMO and JV, JVM. And um, we ended up achieving a six-figure cash flow in business. Um, and uh, I think it's three years on now, and that, that continues to grow. Um, High-end JV HMO properties. So can you tell us a little bit about your portfolio, Alex? So how many units have you got? And, um, you know, whereabouts are you investing? Just so the listeners can have a bit of an insight of, um, of where your portfolio is. Of course, yeah. So we have um, 60 units currently, 65 shortly. Um, we got an offer just accepted just before Christmas. And um, uh, I invest in Nottinghamshire. Okay, so how, how does your property um, investment look? What do you do? What's your involvement? Yeah, so at the beginning stages, you know, I was very hands-on. And uh, <laughs> don't mind sharing this, but my first ever JV property, I flooded the whole ground floor, I, I, the stop cock came off and uh, flooded. So I was very hands-on, scraping wallpaper and so forth. Um, but right now, it's a very, you know, systemized business. I'm, I'm very hands-off um, because I'm focused on, on different kind of business projects. So um, what we do, we, 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 I source the property. I'll find it. I'll, I'll negotiate with the estate agent. And then what I will do is get typically three investors lined up, three JV um, investors. Okay. So it's first refusal, second refusal and third refusal. I'll offer it to the first one if they don't want it. Second one, they'll have the you know next option and third one, they'll get the next option. Um, from there, once the JV said yes, um, I will then put them in touch with the estate agent and then they would, you know, wrap it up, send the proof of funds, uh, mortgaging principal and so forth, uh, solicitor details. And that's all underhand, right? That's been dealt with by my JV. That's their role and responsibility. The flip side to that, I'll make sure that the um, project managing teams on underway. I'll make sure that you know we're ready for it, and we have a laugh with all our JV uh, partners. It's like passing a baton in a race, in a relay race. Uh, they deal with all the you know before the completion, and then after everything after we deal with it. The management, the project management, uh, tenant filling, you know, making sure it's done to a high standard. Um, so it's pretty much it's quite you know it's passive for um, the JV partners. Are you actively managing your own tenants? Yes, we manage all 60 of them. Uh, and uh, yeah, it is. You know what? And, and, you know, a lot of people think, wow, 60 tenants. And or you must, you know, typically people who aren't in property as well, bear in mind. And, and they'll say, wow, they, you must get so many complaints, so many calls. And I can hand on heart say we don't. We, are, we have we, we spend about five hours, if that, a week managing the portfolio. And that's just basic like, like certificates and so forth. Um, we, we vet, we vet our, uh, tenants so well. And that's down to you, Rick, actually, cause I can remember joining your systems day back in 2015, I believe. And we use that system today and touch wood. We've, we've haven't had any problems. Um, you know, massive problems, no one missing you know, late rent, no kind of, um, you know, people smashing windows or anything like that. It's been a really smooth process. And that's because we take massive due diligence with our tenants. Yeah. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? A lot of people do get scared off and they don't want to 
um, go into HMOs because they don't want to have to manage those tenants. Well, you know, and thank you for the plug for the systems, Alex. Um, you know, with the systems that we use, and yes, you know, Alex has got a, a good-sized portfolio. Um, ours is a lot larger than that, and we probably still only work about 10 hours a week in the portfolio because of the systems that we have in place. So it is all about getting those systems together in order to be able to, um, to have it as passive as you can. So what projects are you working on right now, Alex, in terms of property? So, yeah, so we've just completed on a, um, a huge six-bed um, property, all en suite, um, so that's just been filled with tenants now. I think we've got we've got three rooms full, three left to sell, and it's only been on for about uh, three weeks. Um, and on the flip side to that, we also have an offer just accepted before Christmas, which is going to be uh, another five bed all en suite um, HMO. And we're just about to exchange on that, so um, should be coming weeks really. Fantastic, sounds really good. So that brings us on nicely, nice little bridge there onto the topic of en suites. What's your, what's your thoughts now? Obviously, there's, there's a lot of banter about en suites. Do I, don't I? You know, is it going to bring any more rent in it? What's your thoughts on them? I, you know, looking back from the first um, properties we, we, we purchased, um, we only put like two or three en suites in them. I wish that I'd put more in them. And, I, and since, you know, two years ago, we've always put en suites in. So every project now, we make sure we can always fit an en suite in. And there's a couple of reasons for this, right? There's less turnover in tenants, okay? So, so tenants stay longer. They pay a premium, so they pay around 50. We're selling our rooms at 550 um, for, for large en suites, you know, 520, 530, et cetera, depending on the bigger the room. Um, so, so you get a premium. They stay longer, which means there's less marketing to pay for in the sense of, you know, your spare room and your, your other portals. But also, you know, there's a lot of talk around councils and individual um, banding. Now, I've, you know, we know that councils are banding now, even if they've not got um, en suites. Yeah, specifically, it's fair to say, Reading yep. Council. Yep, okay, great, great stuff. So they're doing that without en suites. Now, if that, if, or if, if it doesn't, or if it does, if it rolls out nationally, I, as the investor, my JV partners would rather have en suites in our properties because of those reasons I said before. So less turnover, you get, you minimize the void period. You've got um, paying people pay at a premium, and and like I said, there's, there's no hassles in the sense of a communal um, bathroom. No one's kind of complaining and so forth. So in my eyes, it's a win-win. It, it really is. Um, you know, and also. A lot of people live in fear-based. What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? I think, you know, if, if you're thinking about things that aren't even happened yet, you're really hindering your results. Yeah. And this this is only myself speaking, but you know, in my you know, when I when I you know speak to people and coach people, I say to them, look, if you're thinking about going into business and wondering what if the economy dips, or you know, what if you know a, a tenant runs a horse through the kitchen, or you know, it could be it could be anything in business. You know, the police officers who are starting their businesses, the same thing with them. And if you start living in a fear-based what if mentality you're not going to go after your results the same way. 
I really, I firmly believe that. It's great advice, you know. And I think, can you talk about like horses? I went to a job once in the police and when there was a Shetland pony in the kitchen uh, <laughs> and it lived in the kitchen. It was a terraced house with no garden and they bought this Shetland pony and lived in the kitchen. Anyway, that's, that's a completely wow. different story. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, when we're on the subject of single banding, let's concentrate on the things that we can control. Because, you know, then you're going to make money. If you start to worry and take away, you know, all of our energy on the things that we can't control, then you're on a, a downward spiral. Absolutely. Yep. And we've got properties that are singly banded um, because that's just what happened because they're on suites. We're not going to argue it because the houses next door we own as well. And they're not singly banded. So what do yep. we do? Well, it's simple. It doesn't put tenants off. That property that is singly banded is fully occupied all the time. And mm. what do the tenants do? Well, they pay their own council tax. Now, their band A, for us, that's about £130 a month, but they get single person living allowance. So that means that they get it reduced to £70. So the tenant will pay it. It doesn't cost us any more money and we're never void in that property. So let's look at the positives, folks. So I'm yep. with you on that, Alex. I think, you know, en suites, we ask ourselves the question, if you went to um, a business meeting mm -hmm. and you booked a room, would you go for a room that was en suite or would you go for a room with a shared bathroom? And I don't have to answer that because I kind of know what the answer is going to be anyway. <laughs> so why would we expect our tenants to do anything differently? So, yes, I'm all for high-end HMOs, but let's do them high-end and put an en suite in as well. I think that's great. Great advice. Yeah. So, okay, so um, let's sort of move on from your journey there now. So you've got your property portfolio, but I know that property isn't your main focus, is it? No, not at all. So from from day one, when I started getting involved in a bit of a property, a bit more, um, I, again, I started to realize, you know what? I'm not actually passionate about property and at all. Like from from the number one, when we get the deal accepted to, you know, the money coming in and I'm not passionate about the process at all, the refurbishment or anything like that. And um, I, I kind of understood that. But what I did find really interesting was entrepreneurship the business side of it uh, and the kind of the mindset of what makes people successful or not so i um soon after you know property i think it was about two years after being in property i then started a um a video-based kind of podcast um series um and uh, i went around um you know uk interviewing highly successful um peak performers and uh I then, you know, realized actually this isn't a good business model. I, I'm loving sitting here with these people, but it's cost me money to travel. It's cost me money to do the, the, vide the videographer. And um, after one of the interviews, the last ones, one of my mentors now, he said to me, stop trying to make everyone successful. Stop trying to, you know, tr trying to change the mindsets of everyone and stop focusing on a specific market that needs your help. So I came up with the idea um, of helping um, ex and serving police officers from around the UK. As you probably know, Rick, um, you know, the police service isn't great at the minute. Um, and a lot of people are trying to get out. But it's what is how in doing that. You know, a lot of cops believe they have to go into security. You know, um, you need to go into kind of investigation services. And it, they kind of get boxed into this, you know, this typical area of business or career. And uh, I want to be the person with our incredible team in helping police officers actually building a business in industry they enjoy which will enable them to live life on their terms with more income time and passion and this is nothing at all and you know there's a few 
cops who get in touch and a few people get in touch. Um, I do not teach investing advice to do with property at all. If you want to stop a letting agency, that's fine. That's business related. But anything to do with investing, um, I, we don't we don't teach that at all. It's about business and entrepreneurship because the investing side, you know, it's not it's 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 just the monetary terms. It's not something that lights me up. I think it's really interesting because obviously with my experience um, and working with cops um, as part of my extended family for you know over 10 years, um, mm -hmm. it's about mindset. So I'm going to ask you a few questions now about mindset and how you overcome this. So <laughs> as, as a, an ex-police officer, I know that you have a very, um, a very tunneled vision on what you can offer society away from the job. So what does that mean? So that means that I think that most police officers think they've got no transferable skills. So when yeah. they leave the job, what do they do? And you just mentioned perhaps security and things like that. Uh, so that's the first sort of um, stumbling block. And the second one would be a lot of them fear that they are tied into their pension and that's going to stop them from doing anything else because they've got this big dangling carrot at the end of their service. So how do you overcome that that mindset with cops? Yeah, absolutely. So um, since the book's been launched, and this is in my book, The, the Skill Sets, is that um, police officers have a high correlation to, to very successful entrepreneurs, um, but they don't value those skill sets. So you know, leadership, communication, teamworking, resilience, all these are, these are massive skill sets that are very highly successful people have. And I've studied, you know, entrepreneurship and business for the past six years now. It's something that I love doing and very passionate about. And there's a direct link. But because they don't know what they know, what they don't know is that they don't value it because they do it so often on a day to day basis. Um, so that's one thing we kind of want to bring out in police officers. Actually, you already have these skill sets, but it's about applying to something else that's something you believe in. Because, you know, a lot of cops are putting all this effort and energy into into the police service and their jobs. And, you know, they're not feeling valued in the sense of their income. It could be um, the, um, you know, supervisors. It could be the time they're spending on away from family and on shift. And you know, the stress of dealing with you know dangerous and disgusting situations, um, so we really want to bring that skill set out of police officers, and make sure that that's been transferred correctly into the business world. Because you know, how many times have you know I've bounced back so many times from business. You know, I've, I've, I've built a team, communication. These are all the same things that, you know, even though I was in the police service for God four four years, those skills was what enabled me to you know. I believe do so well in, in, in the business world. Um, so that's one thing. Now the pension, right? The pension is a big, big topic. Now, when I was in service, a lot of cops would say, oh, only two more years to go. Only two more, only five more years to go. Kind of those counted down the seconds before they can retire, which is, you know, for me, that is, you know, a wrong way of thinking. You know, you shouldn't be taking down your your time to to get this, you know, sum of money. You should be living in the moment, living in the present, enjoying it, and not being, you know, not not living for the pension. And I always tell cops this. I wrote about this in my book. But chase your passion, not your pension. And trust me, you know, when when you do this, you get more fulfilled. You get more out of life. You squeeze the hell out of it, and you start actually becoming happier. In, in actually building something for you. And also a lot of police officers, and this comes down to a belief system, um, just like myself, 
is that the pension in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot of money. It's not a lot of money at all. So, you know, it could be, you know, six figures, 150 grand. If you are so focused on that 150 grand, you're going to miss a lot of opportunity in the business world. And trust me, a lot more, as you know, a lot, a lot more income can be gained from your business efforts rather than uh, the pension. Also, the pension reform has made it a lot easier for cops now to kind of make that transition a lot smoother, smoother because the pension can be a mindset trap. So since this reform's been taking place, um, cops are actually saying, you know what, I'm probably not going to stay in any longer. I want to go kind of now. And also, um, a lot of police officers don't trust the government not to change things in the future. Um, and, and they're starting to click on, actually, um, I want to control my own finances rather than um, giving out someone that power. So that, that's the advice I'd give. And, you know, thankfully, people are starting to come around to that way of thinking because if, you know, if they let the pension, the pension trap you, it, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge mindset trap. And before you know it, you've, you've, you've got your pension, but then it's like, what next? A lot of cops retire quite young. And, you know, if, if that pension may not be enough, to, you know, to, to make, to help you live the next 30 or 40 years of your life. So just for some clarity then, Alex, so you're providing business coaching for um, ex and serving officers. But this isn't just for police officers that are looking to leave the service now. It's potentially for police officers that are coming up to retirement and looking at that next thing as well, isn't it? That's great. Yeah, that's completely right. So we have some, you know, it's my, my company called Shift to Success. And basically we have a, we have a, a six step process, which every business takes, which is ideas, planning, branding, implementation, products and sales. Now, I'm not an expert in you know all those areas. So I had a task of finding some very remarkable people within the UK who are very specific to those each areas in teaching police officers how to build a business uh, correctly in those six steps um, to make sure that they've gained the momentum and progressing towards to live life on their terms. Um, so, so that's the methodology we have. Um, and, you know, we have like Andrew Priestley, best-selling author, business coach, Tim Han, world-renowned coach. We have um, the UK's leading prospect conversion expert, uh, James White. Um, we have um, uh, uh, Sapna Piriu. She's a branding consultant, a design coach. We have Robin Wade as well. And um, it is, it's about, you know, really nailing down these six steps from Elon Musk to Steve Jobs to Richard Branson, these very successful people. Actually, though, they also built those six steps in place. So how are you getting to um, these police officers? How are you getting your message out there? Yeah, so um, we have a very large um, uh, Facebook group that's building very nicely. Uh, we run ads and so forth, but we also run events. So we run a, we've run. we got the Success Quick Start Day, which is about a week today, actually, which is exciting. Um, we're about teaching these um, police officers who are attending um, the six-step methodology. And also we have a nine-month program for excellent serving police officers, which takes them it's a, you know, from foot point A to point B, and that's where the transformation happens. That's where you get the accountability, the environment, the structure, the clarity, as well as access to the mentors on a more regular basis, as well as as well as an online learning portal. Um, the book as well has helped massively. Um, as you know, it got to the bestseller, um, and people are getting in touch now, believe it or not, which is quite a strange saying. 
are you the guy who helps cops build businesses? <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very, it's a very nice thing to experience. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, it's growing with, I mean, I think it's about a year approaching now and, uh, you know what, it, it lights me up. It, it gives me that sense of purpose, um, rather than, rather than property for my own personal needs, I think. So Alex, why just cops? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so Obviously, I, we've, I've got a background in the police service, and so that helps a lot. I understand their problems, and you know, a lot of my mentors say you need a PhD, a degree in your uh, clients' problems. So that's one thing. I understand their problems, which is which is great. Also, we teach this as well. It's about having a niche. If I start, you know, marketing to everyone, then I'm not going to typically gain the traction from anyone. So it's about tailoring my marketing towards police officers. So they go, Oh, that's me that you're speaking to me right now. And, and that, you know, helps the process. So every piece of content that we tailor from the blog to the YouTube, to the book, um, to, you know, it could be uh, legislation, the police and so forth. Um, it's all directed to them. Is it something that you might roll out to all emergency services or is it definitely just going to stay with police officers? Um, so we've, we've definitely talked about this, absolutely, um, expanding it to, to other areas. Um, as, as It's not just police officers who are going through tough times in the minute. So the, you know, I'm, I'm sure the you know, teachers are, I'm sure the military are. So, so definitely something we, you know, we maybe think about in the future. Um, but right now, the whole focus on um, helping uh, the cops who do want a better life themselves and enabling them to build something so that you know they don't have to remain in a job that's making them unhappy. I think you know the suicide rate is 248 police officers, you know, since 2013 have took their own lives. Um, sickness is through the roof. Um, you know, injuries are through the roof, and um, you know something has to change. And a lot of people say, Alex, aren't you taking so many cops away from the police service? What's going to happen to the UK? And my answer to that is, you know, if the government and the organisations start to realise hang on, we're getting a high, a very high turnover on cops right now. We're training them and then they're leaving. But also just the churn rate in the sense of, you know, cops are leaving more than ever now, right? Cops are looking for different careers to go into. Then maybe, maybe, and just maybe, they'll start to put high evaluations on police officers' lives and their roles. Because this, the UK, we need the police service, like we need them. But people forget they are humans just like, you know, just like me and just like any other person in the world. And they have the same needs, uh, the same kind of um, qualities that they need from, you know, a, a lifestyle around a career. And if the government don't support them and don't value them in, in high expectations, then, you know, the police service is going to continue to, you know, maybe, you know, spend money where it's not necessarily needed. But also cops are going to end up leaving a lot more. That's a great answer. So going back right to the beginning of the interview, and we mm-hmm. spoke a little bit about where you were in your life, and in transition to where you are now, would you say that you have achieved all of your goals? Oh, absolutely not. Oh no. Um, so I, you know, I'm very goal driven. So um, I tend to let my behaviours drive my goals, and uh, if I don't have a goal in mind. Um, I actually become very, um, you know, anxious and what's next. So, you know, I want to, you know, I want to expand the property side of it. I'll, I'll, I'll always invest in property. I just won't go after it with the same kind of, you know, tenacity I did that first year. Um, on the flip side to that, you know, I want to, you know, help support, 
you know, hundreds of police officers throughout the UK. Um, I want to write more books in the future. I want to, you know, speak around the world, all about entrepreneurship and mindset and also helping support the global goals. There's 17 global goals um, that, you know, major um, leaders in the, in the, around the world have put in place for a sustainable future. And I really want to support um, that and also other charities um, like Buy One, Give One and just helping a bit of making a bit of an impact in the world. I, I, and I also believe that, you know, once you get that level of success, help other, help other people up, you know, help up other people to your to your kind of, um, you know, your kind of living or your lifestyle. Um, because I firmly believe if, if the more people we help, the more our economy will do better, the more kind of um, the level of standard in society will get better. And, I, you know, I firmly believe entrepreneurship can solve a lot of the major problems um, throughout the world. Alex, I think a lot of people listening to this will be very inspired by you and your journey. Who would you say the most inspirational people have been in your life, in your business life? As in my mentors? Well, you know, anyone that you feel that has been the most inspirational people and had uh, an effect on what you've done in your your business journey. Okay, um, I I was in London uh, last last week, and uh, I've never heard of this young lady before, and she um, she's from uh, Cameroon, a lovely lady. Her name's Cristal, and um, she started a fashion line with 50 pound and within a year she generated 1 million in sales and i was so took back by that because she didn't have all these excuses that so many and, and i completely agree with her she didn't have all these excuses that you know oh, i haven't got the money i haven't got the team i haven't got you know the time and, and she's from a village with you know hardly no electricity she has electricity on certain days um, she, 50 pound to her in Cameroon was so much like it was, it was like, you're, if you've got 50 pound in Cameroon, you're rich. And hearing her story, I'm thinking it always comes down to resourcefulness. Always. It's about, you know, it's about having the mindset and being resourceful. And when, she, when I heard her speak, it was like, it was like a, you know, if, if more people were to realize that it is a mindset and about resourcefulness, and, you know, not having the money all the time is just an excuse, really, that we tell ourselves to keep us in the same position. More people would become successful. And, and seeing her on stage and, and the person she became, and I had never met her before, and her and her journey was was truly, you know, it was, it, it, it hit a light bulb for me, definitely. Well, quite, and quite a recent one. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It was, you know, it was just hearing her thinking, wow, 50 pounds to 1 million sales. And, you know, the lack of electricity, the, the, the lack of, you know, going to school. She, ne- she hasn't got, you know, she hasn't got a massive background in education. Um, she was a young lady as well. Um, she had siblings. And no, she's, she's with, with the money as well. Um, she's obviously put it in, uh, into business, but she has supported her whole family to put them in education here in the UK. Fantastic. And I just think, wow, what an incredible woman. Yeah, and I think, you know, we are, we do blame an awful lot of things, don't we, in our third world problems, why we can't do things and what's stopping us from moving forwards. And when you do see case studies like that, it really opens your eyes up to say, look, you know, you can make anything happen under any circumstances if you want it enough. 
hundred percent. One, and it kind of frustrates me. You know, you know, we we live in the UK. We are, you know, we have you know, a lot of us have cars or transport and we have, you know, laptops and computers, TVs and all these, all these things that can help us so much in business. But a lot of people will go, oh no, I haven't got any money, so I can't start a business. And that's not it. I remember about 20 years ago, um, I was sat with a guy in my pub. I, um, I had to put, I still got the pub, still own it now. And I was sat with a guy who was a brother of a very famous at the time television presenter. Not going to say who it was, uh, yeah. but a very famous guy. And I said, how did he get into television? And he said in one word that kind of stuck with me throughout the rest of my life because he wanted to. Mm. And I thought, you know what, that says it all. If you want to do something, and if you want it enough, you can go out and make it happen. So, Alex, let's talk about your book. So, number one best-selling <laughs> book on day of release. How does that feel? <laughs> it's still, uh, I still got to pinch myself actually over that. Um, it's amazing. It's you know a big. It's been a big goal of mine, and um, you know it, the messages that um, the emails I'm getting, the inboxes on Facebook, um, that. It's just incredible. Make knowing that you know the books making an impact in people's lives uh, is really fulfilling. Like it, it really means a lot. And um, so your yeah. book's called your book's it's called, called come on. Police, <laughs> police officer to entrepreneur: the six-step method for building a successful business beyond the force. And what does it do? What's the message? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 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 section one basically is about you know why police officers should seriously consider entrepreneurship as a career. Um, and how times have changed over the past and, you know, um, to where they are now. Section two goes very deep into the six-step methodology I talked about, which is ideas, planning, branding, implementation, products, and sales. So, again, the process that every business develops. And also, um, section three of the book is about the entrepreneurial essentials, which is mindset, execution, and energy. And it's about, you know, developing this, the, the, essentially the mindset strategies around entrepreneurship to, to progress forward. And how can the listeners get hold of a copy of that book, Alex? Yeah. So it is on Amazon at the minute. Um, and, uh, they can grab it on there and Kindle or they can buy it hard copy. It's completely fine. Um, and, um, I'm trying to set up in a minute, a audible, um, kind of thing, but I don't need to go with my own voice or someone who sounds like Morgan Freeman. So I'm trying to, <laughs> try to okay. You know what I think? You should go, go with your own voice. Okay. Uh, I think people want to listen to you. And I yeah. think, you know, it is, um, it's a lot more genuine if you record it yourself. This is only my opinion. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I had the dilemma as well. You know, do I pay someone to do it? Is it going to be more professional? And I think, you know, it's, it's real. It's about you. Um, yeah. You've created it. So I personally think you should record it yourself. That's my opinion. <laughs> awesome. Now I've took it on board. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. So, Alex, whilst we're on the subject of books... Give me the last book that you read. What was it called and how did it help you? Yes. So I, so, ooh, read book I last. I'm trying to think. So audiobook or actually written Wh- books? I'm, wh- I do both. Whichever. Okay. So the book I'm reading at the minute is High Performance Habits by um, uh, Brendan Bouchard. And it's about how, how successful people get to the positions they are and they have specific habits tell them get there. So it's very interesting. It's very, um, psychological very deep um but it's enjoying the minute and also uh shoe dog by the uh founder of phil knight 
Yep, Nike. Have you heard of that? Yeah, so absolutely phenomenal. Every, I, I honestly believe every entrepreneur should read this book. Um, it's such a long book, though, isn't it? it? It is, but I just think, you know, the things he went through, you know, traveling, the business deals that went under, the, you know, the funding, the team building, I just think, wow, like, it gives me faith in knowing that, you know, when I have kids or, or myself, that they, how could, they can make it. If someone can go through that kind of level of, you know, adversity, um, yeah, it, it, it really likes me thinking, actually, fall in love with the process rather than the event and, and you know, really aligns with my values, actually. So it's a really good book. I highly recommend that. So that leads me on to all-time favourite book. Okay, all-time favourite book for me. I always, I always say Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Mm -hmm. Slight Edge by, yeah, Jeff Olson. I've got, you know, I've got coasters right now. I'm looking at coasters with his um, infographic. So it reminds me every single day. Do you think one day Jeff is going to have coasters with your face on? <laughs> it's funny. I sent it with tweets with uh, with the coasters, and uh, he he loved them. It was, it was uh, very it was a very reply back, so it was really good. Maybe uh, you should get some done. I think you should. I'm looking at your profile picture now, and it's a very good one. So maybe that it's actually a good shape as well to stick a <laughs> cup of coffee on. <laughs> you've yeah. got a, you've got a great shape head, Alex, to stick <laughs> a cup of coffee on. <laughs> uh, we jest. Um, <laughs> um, so okay, cool, Alex. Last question: cat or dog? I know what you're going to say. Dogs all the way. Alex has got folks. This the most adorable little sausage dog called <laughs> called Rolo. And I think because uh, I spent a bit of time at Alex's house a couple of years ago, and and you've taught um, Rolo this trick, Alex, haven't you? You tell the listeners what he does. Yeah, so he does a few things. And uh, so you tell him to ring the bell, he rings the bell, you tell him to roll over, he'll roll over, um, tell him to do meerkat, he'll stand up on his back legs like a meerkat, <laughs> uh, speak, kiss. And, he, um, and, and he, if you shoot him, he'll fall over dead, won't he? Yeah, absolutely. You say bang, and he'll, and he'll play dead. So and I can remember rightly, I think he licks your head a few times. He, he did like to lick the back of <laughs> yeah. my head, yes. What a, an adorable dog. Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, to have you on the podcast today. You know, your story is phenomenal and I'm sure it's going to inspire everyone that listens uh, to this podcast. How can our listeners reach you if they want to reach out? Yeah, sure. So um, best email is probably alex at shifts to success or come through the website at um, www.shiftstosuccess.com. Fantastic. Alex, thank you so much indeed. It's been a great podcast and uh, wish you all the very best and the success for the future. It's an honor. It's an honor, Rick. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Alex, thank you very much. If you are interested in any of our property mentoring services, then please contact me via my website, which is www.neweraPropertySolutions.co.uk. And please don't forget to take a look at my five times best selling book, House Arrest. House Arrest is a manual for new property investors, which shows you how you can replace your income by investing in property. That's available on kindle it's available on paperback and it's also available on the audible store